0: Well, good morning, church. It's a pleasure to have each and every one of you with us this morning, as uh, it seems that uh, two Sundays in a row, that the sun's shining, summer must be on its way, and I know a lot of you are excited about that. I'm going to ask you to take God's Word in your hands and turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians. Uh, We've been in a series, and we're finishing up a series uh, over the next couple weeks, uh, that we've entitled Ready. Uh, A look at Paul's letters, uh, two letters to the church in Thessalonica, which was, uh, or still is in modern day greece written in the first century and uh, he has written this uh, these two letters Uh, to inform the people to prepare the people to be ready in all occasions and uh, the period of time that he's talking about is the same period of time we find ourselves in today even though two thousand years um... are uh... uh... set apart from our time and their time we recognize that the whole uh... focus and theme of the two letters of uh thessalonians are, are to talk about being ready uh, during the time of after Christ's resurrection on Easter to the return of Christ sometime in the future. And so we find ourselves in this transitional time. We find ourselves in this moment where God has allowed a time and a place for people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we need a manual as Christ followers as to how we are to live. Looking back at His resurrection, looking back at His modeling of how we ought to live, and then looking forward to the return of Christ, which he says no man knows the hour or day of. So we need to be ready and prepared for all that is going to take place in that time between those two great events. Just to look forward for a moment before we get into our text this morning... We'll be starting in three weeks, a series uh, that we're calling Life. It's all about relationships, and we're going to spend about six or seven weeks uh, looking at different relationships that we have as human beings, and what does God's Word have to say about uh, our marital relationship? What does it have to say about uh, our friendships? What does it say about our relationship with parents and kids? What about our relationships at work? Our lives are filled with relationships, and we're going to start our summer uh, with a series focusing in on that. In fact, over the summer we'll be dealing with three different series. One that has to do with relationships, another that has to do with prayer, and then we're going to finish up uh, our series looking at uh, what is known as the seven deadly sins. And so we're going to look at uh, what the Old Testament scripture has to say about sins that in some ways we don't think all that much about, but God has a a response. God has a, uh, a sense or a feeling about certain activities, certain things that we do, and he wants us to stay away from those things. And so that's where we're going to be going for the summer. If you really need to fast forward in the fall, we'll be looking at the life of Joseph and learning the life of a man uh, who uh, had all kinds of ups and downs, but God would use in a marvelous way uh, to further his kingdom. And so if you were wondering, is the preaching team doing their homework? We've got it set for the next year, and we look forward to you being a part uh, of our teaching series in the days to come. But we've got three weeks left in our series that we've entitled Ready. And I want to Uh, Look to our scriptures this morning and uh, just spend some time this morning looking at what Paul has to say about what it means to live between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ. Even at times when it seems life, life is becoming more and more difficult as a Christian to live, so let's look at Paul's uh, words this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find our passage in the uh, pew rack uh, in front of you. You can find our passage on page 989, page 989. Here's what Paul says. But we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers. You're beloved by God because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's pray. Father God, we come once again to this passage of scripture that has taught us so much of what it means to live between two great events. As Christians, we look back with great admiration and affection to the uh, moment in time where you conquered sin and death by uh, raising yourself from the dead. And we are thankful for that because it reminds us that one day, as you promised, you will come back in the clouds and you will uh, make us like yourself. You will resurrect our bodies and change us so that we might be like you and be with you for all uh, of eternity. But between those two poles, Lord, um, is life. And for many, as Christ followers this morning life is difficult it seems lord that being one of your followers becomes more and more difficult within our culture and within our world today and we need your advice we need your wisdom as to know how to live as to know how to speak as to know how to respond when it seems the world is going crazy you tell us lord that things will not be easy And that in these last days, things will become ever more difficult for your followers. And so, Lord, I'm thankful for the example of the Thessalonians, who were enduring great affliction, great persecution, and yet, Lord, did not allow that to stop them from honoring you in all that they do. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be our model, that that would be our goal this morning, that we might honor you even when the fire is hottest in the world today, that we might shine brightly as a result. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Grab your sermon inserts as well in the bulletin to follow along, but I uh, want to focus in on uh, verses 13 through 17 this morning. And I appreciate and thank Pastor Steve for taking uh, a very hard ta- text and dealing with that very faithfully last week uh, in addressing uh, some of the things that Paul says are going to come and already have come uh, in these last days that we live. When we talk about last days, we must recognize that we are living them. The last days are not uh, the months uh, before the return of Christ. In fact, uh, the moment that Jesus Christ ascended to the heaven ushered in the last days uh, of uh, this age. And so this last days have been 2,000 years long. And we don't know, it may be another 2,000 years. It may happen before this message is done. But the Bible makes it clear and Jesus makes it clear that he's coming back. And we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. And our text this morning helps us to recognize how we can be faithful in a world that is unfaithful this last week, I had the opportunity to speak at uh, the Hinkley Big Rock Middle School for career day. I was asked to come a- and speak on the role of being a pastor. Now, you would think, what junior hires, what middle schoolers would want to know about being a pastor? I had some of the largest gatherings of students, which was quite amazing, that kids wanted to come and, and find out what it means to be a pastor. And I got a great opportunity to share the privilege and, and opportunity it is for me to serve you as, as your pastor. I told how crazy, some of you are i made it clear that i serve a crazy church and yet during that time that uh, that i was able to speak uh, we we had a, mo- a morning assembly at the ch- uh, at the gymnasium at the school and uh... one of the speakers got up during the morning assembly and said that uh, during the life of that generation in fact probably even our generation today uh... careers are going to be something that we're going to switch over and over again gone are the days of you getting a job when you're eighteen nineteen twenty and having that job until you retire in your sixties those days are gone in this new economy it was articulated that uh... we will switch careers not just jobs but careers Many different times and as educators and as parents, we need to prepare this generation to be ready uh, to adapt uh, to the moments and the times in their life that will cause them to have to be prepared for a different situation, a different scenario, a different occupation so that they may not find themselves ill-prepared. The speaker that was sharing that with the students articulated that it was the motto of the school, the vision of the school, uh, that the students be ready to go. I don't know if it was the word ready and our connection with our series ready, but it began to, uh, I stopped listening to the speaker like I was as a student, I stopped listening to who was talking, and began to think about the Thessalonians, and began to think about the text that I was preparing for this week. You see, what Paul is articulating to a group of Christians is that the Christian life in the last days is a life that must be ready to be adapted to. That everything's not going to be the same. The things you lived yesterday will not be the same that you'll live today, and they will not be the same as you live them tomorrow. Culture's changing. Time is changing. You are changing. And as a result of that, You need to be ready to go. You need to be prepared for the things that God is going to bring into your life to be able to give him the glory and honor, to show people who Jesus Christ is, and to extend his love to others, whether you find yourself in this situation or some other situation down the road. And so Paul is helping these people who are living between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the return of Jesus Christ, just like us, how to be ready to go as Christ followers in a world that seemingly has gone mad. Paul has spent some time, as we learned last week, giving some bad news. In the passage that was just uh, before us last week, it starts out with some bad news and it gets a whole lot worse. Paul doesn't seem to uh, try to uh, clean up the the passage by saying, you know what, hey, it, it won't be as bad as you think. It starts out bad, and it only gets worse. And as we begin to look at this passage this morning, and ask the question, how are we as Christ followers ready to go in these last days? How are we prepared to take on the, uh, the difficult task of being uh, his followers and to be the salt and light he's called us to be, In that world of sin, how do we do that? Paul says we've got to do some things. We've got to remember some things. We need to rely on some things. But before we do that, I want us to notice a couple things this morning. Notice that what Paul lays forth is the times we live in, we find ourselves in a disappointing situation. A disappointing situation. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul starts out with the passage, I don't want you to be alarmed. I don't want you uh, to be alarmed or shaken in mind. The idea there that, that we're, we're supposed to understand is that these people are undone. Uh, the, what, what Paul is saying is they're living during a time where their world is upside down. We live during a time where our world is upside down. We live in a time where it almost seems on a daily basis, I I look to my phone and I go through all the news feeds that I do on a daily basis, and there seemingly is every day a new place where evil seems to be conquering good. It seems as if there's a new way of debauchery going on in the world. It seems as if uh, the country and the world that we lived in that held to truths and to traditions and to virtues not just as a badge of honor, but celebrated as good, now are called evil and bigotry and hatred. The Thessalonians found themselves in a world that hated them, that looked at them with disgust. They found themselves in a world where they would find themselves, if standing for truth, they would find themselves losing opportunities. They would find themselves losing their homes. They would find themselves being shunned by the people they love and the people that they hung out with. And while we're not there yet, Paul seems to say that this disappointing situation begins with what I would like to say, the troubling days that are among us. Uh, Paul has said and, and, and articulated through verses 1 through 12, that the days that we live in will be troubling days. there will be difficult days. Oh, there'll be good days and there'll be fun days. But, but if you were to really look at all that's going on in these last days, we will see that there's great disappointment. There's great struggle. And Paul was reminding them, this isn't just happening in the area of Thessalonica in northern Greece, but it's happening all over the world. And we are seeing, as we look to our news that the world is troubled, it is agitated, it finds itself uh, in all kinds of upheaval. Why? Because it continually seeks to live life apart from God. And Paul says that as Christians, we are not immune to these troubles. We're not immune from the difficult days that are before us. The difference is, is instead of just going blindly into this kind of living and blindly into this kind of world, that we are to think soberly as to how we are to live in response. So Paul tells us, listen, there are days that are among us where the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well. Boy, we see it. Spirit of Antichrist is alive when, when one individual guns down another. The spirit of Antichrist is found in the neglect and abandonment of a child. The spirit of Antichrist is seen uh, when we cheat on tests and cheat in the workplace. The spirit of Antichrist is seen when we say no to what God has ordained with marriage and what God has ordained for our sexuality and we go our own way. The spirit of Antichrist is found in children who rebel against their parents. The spirit of Antichrist is found in in churches that that deny the truth of the scriptures and and promote the traditions of men. The spirit of Antichrist is found when we turn on our TVs and we turn a blind eye to the entertainment that we watch that is unbecoming for believers to see. We we, uh, see the spirit of Antichrist when we know what we should be doing. And we don't do it. The spirit of Antichrist is all around us. And as a result of that, we live in troubling days. Paul lays that out in verses 1 through 12. But as we learned last week, not only troubling days among us, but tribulation is on its way. Tribulation is on its way. As if Paul would say, okay, let me share with you the bad news. The Thessalonians must have been like, okay, let's get to the good news. Well, okay, here's the good news. Antichrist is coming. That should brighten your day. The greatest personification of evil within a human being is going to come. And he's going to come into this culture of trouble, and we don't know how he's going to do it. We don't know when he's going to do it. We don't even know, uh, per se, where it's going to happen. But what we know is that there will be a figure, a human being, who will come onto the scene... And he will do something that will be so brilliant, so great, that the world will stand enamored with him. That they will seek to to be a part of him. That they will seek to honor him. That they will seek to obey him. And this guy will love it. And he will say, you know what? I'm going to set myself up as God. And I'm going to do it so that people may worship and adore me. And the Bible says that people will run headlong into that. They will pursue it thinking they are doing that which is right and good. And at the end of the passage, Paul says, the reason why they do it is because notice in the text, verse verse uh, 9, it says he's going to do it with all powerful uh, signs and wonders. He's going to do it through wicked deception. And the people who are going to follow are people, notice in the text, who are perishing, who refuse to love the truth, who are under a strong delusion, who believe that which is false, who are condemned, who do not believe, and who take pleasure in unrighteousness. The world will be led. The world will be filled with people who hate God and love themselves. So the question we have to ask this morning is, what is a Christian to do? What are we going to do that will shine a light for Jesus Christ in these days? Now, remember, we're in the last days, and so these things are happening and will continue to happen in greater fashion until the return of Jesus Christ. So what are we to do? I want you to notice a couple things this morning. First of all, I want you to notice the different strategies that we can take in our response to how we live How can we address these issues? Paul, you know, Paul finishes up and and notice in the text that nowhere are any of these strategies made evident. First strategy is, okay, life is bad, the world's sinful, the world's pursuing all the things of hell and the devil, and so what is a Christian to do? Strategy number one that is not listed in our text is to run away and hide in fear. To run away and hide in fear. Paul says, notice in the text, as he starts verse 13, listen, trouble's already here and tribulation is coming, therefore run for the hills, right? That's verse 13. Or, you know what, in your middle class suburban home, you close yourself off from the world because the world is a scary place. And because the world is going to, uh, like a bad cold, infect your uh, home, so what you do is you bubble yourself into this this uh, place, into this home, into this life. You go about life. You live in this world only if you have to. You only do commerce if you have to. You only go to a job to get paid so you can have food for your family, have a house. But But there's no spiritual value to you working. You make sure that nobody in the neighborhood knows who you are. You make sure that your home never has an unbeliever in it. You make sure that none of your acquaintances and none of your friendships are with people who don't know Jesus. And you quarantine yourself because you're scared of what the world has. And because, of course, Paul shares that in verse 13, right? Nowhere does he say that. The Bible tells us we are to be in the world. The Bible calls us to be the salt of the earth. To be effective as salt means you have to have proximity to that which you're trying to season. And so we need to recognize this morning that our, our initial response to a world gone wild is a response that says, get out of Dodge, run away. And get out of it as quickly as you can. Because nothing of value is going to come with you if you will swim in, in the sewer. But Paul doesn't say that. Notice the second thing Paul doesn't say. He says don't run away from in fear. The second thing that he doesn't say is don't rally around a fixer. The second thing that we do that comes a part of human nature is we say, Okay, we're going to get out of Dodge. We're going to quarantine ourselves. Uh, And maybe another person might say, you know what, what we need to do is we need to get that guy or that gal into office that they can change things, right? And so we find ourselves someone who's yelling about the culture like we are, who's talking about how evil the things that the culture has around it. And, And they are a charismatic individual, and they are a person who can speak very clearly to the ills of the day. And we rally around that, and we campaign for that. And we're seeing that happen even today, once again, as we enter into what is seemingly an endless political cycle of elections. And we begin to think, if we get this person in, if this person is presiding in the Oval Office, or if this person is sitting in the House of the the Congress, or if we can fill this judicial seat, then everything will change. Everything will get fixed. And they will tell you that that's what's going to happen. But here's the thing that I've come to learn. Neither Republican nor Democrat has stemmed the tide of the evil the culture is dealing with. And so we find ourselves thinking, if we can just do that, and, refer, and I'll tell you, these are things that I'm not impugning upon you, these are things that go through my mind. I have children, I don't want my children to fall into the evils of this world, and so I want to protect them, I want to keep them close to me. And I start listening to people and tell, that tell me that they can fix it, and I, and I start to believe them, and I start to think, really, that, maybe that's the case, we just need a different president, we just need a different Congress, we just need a different Supreme Court, that would fix things. But notice, nowhere in the text does to say, okay, trouble isn't coming, it's here, and tribulation is coming. And so verse three, 13 says, so gather yourselves, get the campaign posters, set up some campaign stops, and find someone who can sit on the Roman Senate in, in Rome, who can change things so that Christians can be happier about the life that they live in this world. I don't see Paul say that third strategy we can run away and hide in fear we can rally around a fixer or we can resist and fight culture well, one of the things that we do is again it's going to be based on personality those who run away in fear are going to be more timid more anxious about things and then there's the fighters they're the ones who say you know what the way we deal with cultures we fight fire with fire and so if our opponents come with a knife we're bringing a gun if they put one of us in the hospital, we're putting them in the morgue. And we begin to think that if that is the way uh, the culture is going to fight with us, then we're going to do the same thing. And so culture speaks in incredibly ungodly and hurtful and, and harsh ways towards Christians. And so what do we do? We turn around and do the same in kind. They demonize us, so we'll demonize them. They fight against us, we fight against them. Notice in the text, troubling times are here and tribulation is coming. And notice what Paul says. Make sure you start boycotting. Make sure that everything they hear from you is judgmental and and, and full of protest. And make sure they know you're angry. And make sure they know that you will not stand for this kind of evil and sin in the world. Paul says, notice, notice in verse 13, because of the trouble and the tribulation, get on your Facebook page and unleash a hate-filled response to the world. None of these are listed. They're all human nature. They all make us feel good as Christians, and I will tell you that of any weeks to have to preach this message, some of the stuff that has happened this week, some of the stuff that is filling our news feeds speak to the trouble we're living among and the tribulation that is coming. Articles that I've read about this week. A baseball analyst being fired by ESPN because of views that he has on, on uh, the idea of gender, and what he holds to as traditional biblical a biblical worldview. A bivocational Seventh Day Adventist pastor who, who was preaching at his church, was in line to receive a, a job, I believe, in the uh, Georgia government, state government. He was about to get the job and it was rescinded. It was taken from him because they started listening to his sermons online. And they said, you know what? Because of some of your views and some of your thoughts and feelings about things, your job is no longer available. We're dealing with boycotts of retail stores because of views that they have, and we wonder what is the Christian's response, and as I've watched as a pastor, I've seen the the litany of responses that we can have, and it it comes back to this question, how are we to live during the troubled times that are among us, and with the knowledge that tribulation is coming? And I see our natural response, like popcorn in a pop- popcorn dish popping away when the fire gets hot. We respond and we never stop to ask the question what might the scripture say to us in this day? That's why I love 2 Thessalonians. Because notice what Paul says. He says it's not to resist and fight culture, it's not to run away and hide, it's not to go rally around a fixer who will fix the problem. The answer is given in verse 13, and I call it the divine solution. How do we fix it? Well, we don't. God does. Notice in verse 13, Paul starts out with this. But there's a contrast there. Paul is going to contrast that which is going on in the world, that what's going on in the lives of those who are rebellious and those who are, are fighting against God and pursuing unrighteousness, those... And these, these who are loved by God and chosen by God. And notice what he says to the Thessalonians. He says, but we ought to always give thanks for you, brothers. Paul says, listen, you're a part of the family of God. You're a part of the family and you, just like us, Just like the great Apostle Paul, you Thessalonians have been given a new life in Jesus Christ. And what Paul wants us to recognize this morning is that we, if we are going to have the right response to a world of sin, then that solution involves some things. One of the ways that I study every Sunday for a sermon is I will take a legal pad and I will write down uh, the passage of Scripture in my own words. I don't do much studying before it. I read it and go over it and get it into my head. And then I sit down and I say, okay, if I was writing, if someone said, hey, tell me in your own words what Paul was saying, here's how I would do it. So this is what I have written down. Though it seems that the world is growing darker by the minute. That's clear. You read the first 12 verses of chapter 2. If you get any other response than hooked on phonics didn't work for you. Okay? Bad, 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 bad. One verse good. Jesus wins, right? The world's getting darker by the minute. So what's God calling us to? Well, verse 13, we learn that God is calling us to a steadfast hope and a vibrant faith that will enable us as believers to shine brighter and bolder than ever before. We have hope. Paul says we have comfort. We've been given grace. Where does that come from, and how does that become a reality? Notice number one. It begins by remembering what we have. Paul says, you brothers are beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul does what scholars say is a miniature systematic theology of all that he, God has done for us. God, first of all, loves us. Notice it says that we are beloved by God. One of the greatest things that I can say is that during this life, I have enjoyed the love of an incredible woman, Amanda. I can't tell you how wonderful it is to know, how great it is to have that love in my life that pales, listen to me, it pales in comparison to knowing that the God of the universe put his affection upon me. Notice it says that this love began before I ever loved him. It says because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. It's hard to understand why God would love me? Why God would put his affection on me? Why would the creator of the universe see fit to look upon me and show me love? But he did it before I could ever show him love back in fact the bible says that while we were sinners christ died for us he did the very the most loving thing in the world he laid down his life for me while i was a sinner we're coming to mother's day here in a couple of weeks and mothers show us that kind of love in in, in a, as best of a way that we can from an earthly perspective I know each of the times of the three times that my wife was pregnant with with our boys, she loved those babies before they were born. How do I know? Because she didn't get angry when those babies would kick. She didn't get angry when those babies would cause her indigestion. She didn't get angry when those babies would cause her to throw up in the morning. And she looked with great admiration to the moment she was going to watch those babies live out their lives fully knowing listen fully knowing that they were going to disappoint her that they were going to disobey her that they were going to cause her all kinds of disappointment and and struggle they were going to keep her up at night the flu season was going to come and the deadbeat dad that's laying next year isn't going to get up the diapers are going to be filled and he's going to neglect that role as well and she showed love New moms help us to see who God is in that way? Because when God put his love on us, we were sinners. And God knew we were going to disappoint him. And God knew we were going to disobey him. And God knew that we were going to create all kinds of issues and struggles. We would live as hypocrites. And God said, I don't care. I love him. And I'm going to pour out my grace and mercy On them now why would that be an important thing for us to remember in the world that we're dealing with because there's something very sobering and something very wonderful knowing when our world gets turned upside down that we have someone on our side right And this one who is on our side, listen, is not on our side because of something we've done, but he has made an objective decision that no matter what we do, no matter what we find ourselves in, he is going to love us. Now, here's the thing. That's where a mother's love comes to its end, because there's moments in our time where even the best of moms struggles to love her children, but God doesn't. He doesn't struggle. And he didn't make that decision based on how good we would be or how much we would try. He based that decision on himself that he would be a loving and merciful God who would walk through this process. And notice, it starts in eternity past with our salvation. And he says, because I started that work then, I'm going to walk you through sanctification, he says later in the text. And so the ups and downs of becoming like Christ in this world, I'm going to stick with you. And then I've got a moment in time when I will will send my son Jesus to come in the clouds. And in that moment, people will be glorified. I will bring the fulfillment of their salvation so that they will experience the full joy and the full peace of what it means to be a part of the family of God. So what that then does, when we think about the love of God and the love of Christ, it begs the question, what can man do to me? Paul put it this way, in one of the greatest chapters of all of Scripture, Romans chapter 8, he says, because of the love of Christ, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Life, death, uh, angels, the demons, uh, e- anything in eternity past, anything in eternity future, nothing, nothing we can do can separate us from that love of God in Christ Jesus. So when we see the world falling apart, we can recognize and know we've got someone at our side. Paul says, remember that. Well, how do we know if we have that? Paul says, notice, we need to receive what God gives. We need to receive what God gives. Notice verse 15. It says then, uh, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. You see, we have to do something. We can't sit back and say, well, I'm going to just bathe in the love of God and I'm not going to do anything and I'm not going to change who I am and and I'm just going to enjoy being loved by God. No, Uh, being loved by someone means I'm going to show them a reverence. I'm going to show them a deference. I'm going to obey them when they talk to me. I'm going to try to please them in everything that I do. And so as Christians, we have to respond. We have to respond in this world of trouble. How do we show that we are loved by God? Notice, first of all, we believe in the truth. Paul says, you prove this, that you were loved by God. You, pers- you proved to us that you weren't like those in verses 1 through 12 by obeying the truth when it was preached to you. By believing in God and believing in His Son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, you now have proven that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. But to be a follower of Jesus Christ has a response. Notice the phrase, so then. So then. In light of all that God has done for us, there are two things that Paul says you need to do. First of all, stand firm. Stand firm. This phrase in the Greek literally means to stand solidly in one place. Settled in one's mind. In the uh, secular use in the Greek language, this word stand firm was used to describe a uh, stiff back of a horse. That when a rider got onto a horse, the horse's back didn't cave in, right? But it was able to endure the weight of the rider. And it would do so without shaking at the knees or becoming feeble. This idea was also spoken of of a wall that was immovable, that was firmly persistent. Now, why would Paul tell us we need to stand firm? Because the world is going to throw things at us, and we need to be ready for it. This last week, and uh, I went to one of my boys' uh, baseball practices, Joshua, so we're talking nine and ten-year-olds. And if you know anything about baseball, 9 and 10 is where the kids start pitching to the batters, right? It's a horrific sight, okay? And we had this kid up, The kid's got a cannon of an arm, okay? Kid can fire the ball like I've never seen a 9 or 10 year old do. Here's the problem, he has no idea where it's going once it leaves his hands. And so the first kid gets up, and he's scared out of his mind already. And he gets up there, and you can tell he's nervous. How do you know a kid's nervous in baseball? He stands four feet away from home plate. Go ahead and pitch it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll get it. First pitch, wham, right in the arm. Kid starts crying. Coach says, get back in there, rub it out, okay? Two pitches later, wham, again, right in the leg. Coach says, all right, this is baseball, son, okay? We're not even using those softballs anymore, right? These are the hardballs, okay? Hayden was his name. Hayden's a great kid. Probably not much discernment. Kept listening to his coach. Probably foolishness on his part. And good old Jack on the mound thinks, you know what? What will make a pitch go over the plate more than throwing it with all your might as hard as you can? Right in the side. Whammo! Of which Hayden takes the bat, God bless the kid, throws it down to the ground, says, I never want to play baseball again. (laughs) How many of you this morning are feeling that way in this world, right? You're so tired of every time you walk into the world, something comes flying at you someone pushing you back someone telling you you're 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 ignorant for believing the truths of scripture someone telling you that you're wasting your money giving it to the church someone telling you that you're wasting your time following a guy that lived two thousand years ago you're tired of watching culture tell you that you're wrong and they're right you're tired of watching culture turn from the things that you know to be true to pursue a lie and just like little hayden in there you walk into the world and you're shaking at the end of the practice, again, Hayden, not known for discernment, stepped back into the pitcher's mound. Except this time, the, the coach was pitching. And I'm standing next to him. He says, I don't want to do it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I said, this time, hey, the guy's got better control. Get in there. you got to learn not to be afraid or you'll never hit the ball. And he got back in there. And he hit the ball. And what he learned was, is at times, yeah... Bad things are going to happen and and things are going to come at you. And many times you're not going to be able to get out of the way quick enough. But what God calls us to is to get back into the batter's box and be ready to hit the ball. And some of us have given that up. And some of us have said, you know what? We're taking our Christian bat and we're going home never to say a word again. The Christian life is going to be a life that is filled with the marks of being attacked. And I'm going to share this quite honestly with you this morning. We have not seen the worst of it yet. And we need to be ready. And we need to be prepared. But being prepared isn't standing behind the fence, never getting in the batter's box. Or putting on so much gear that you'll never be able to hit the ball. But a recognition that though the attacks may come, I've got a God who loves me. I've got a God who says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I've got a God who says we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And so I am going to stand firm. And when we do that, God says we're going to hit the ball when it comes across the plate. And he's going to give us opportunities to do that. Notice the second thing he says. We have to hold, hold on to certain things. Notice in the text he says, okay, you need to stand firm and hold to the traditions. That phrase hold to was a, a sailing term that was used uh, to speak of stormy seas. So sailors would know when the seas were rocking to and fro... That, that you needed to hold on to something, that even the most veteran of fishermen or seafaring individuals cannot stand, cannot walk, cannot live at the top of the boat without holding on to something. Why? Because the ship is rocking and the waves are going to toss us and two things will happen. You're going to fall over all the time or if you get too close to the side, you're going to get knocked off the boats. And so... Paul says, listen, just like those fishermen and, and seamen who find themselves in rocky seas, you need to find something to hold on to. And one of the things that on a ship you will notice is there are a lot of things on a ship's um, deck that you can hold on to. Why? There's railings, there's all manner of things. Because they recognize when stormy seas come, I need to hold on to something that isn't going to move. How am I going to be able to stand firm? If I have nothing to hold on to, then I'm dead meat. But if there's something I can grab a hold of that isn't going to move, then I've got an opportunity to weather the storm that I'm facing. So what does Paul say? Paul says, we want you to hold to the traditions that we have taught either by spoken word or by letter. What's he talking about there? What he's not talking about is just hold on to the things that we said. What he's saying is that which we have told you in letter, meaning the letters that we're reading, the Holy Scriptures, or the words that maybe didn't make it into Holy Scriptures but we're still a part of the apostolic message, those things are what we want you to hold on to. So how do we translate that today? We translate that as when the world gets difficult, when it becomes like we're being tossed to and fro. What do we grab on to? First of all, a solid and robust doctrine of who God is. The second we give up that God is creator God, that God knows more about us than we know about ourselves, the quicker we will fall to all sorts of sin. Here's the problem. And I say this with all due respect. This whole question of gender is a question not about man but about God. If I question whether I'm male or female, my problem isn't with myself. My problem is with my God. God created the male and female. Well, I don't like how you created me, God, so I'm going to do it differently. And I'm going to identify differently. Well, let me tell you something. The issue is a robust understanding of who God is. God has created us. God has made us and knit us together in our mother's womb. And we must recognize and hold to and hold fast to that truth. That God knows me. He didn't make a mistake. And that because he's made me in the way that I am, he's created me for a purpose. I need to hold on to that. So it's the doctrine of God. Notice it's the directives of God. God says, listen, trouble's coming and tribulation is on its way. And listen, what we need you to do is we need you to gather together with like-minded Christians who sit under the teaching and the authority of God's word and we hold on to that together. I remember... One of the movies uh, some years back was the movie Twister about tornadoes. And it was crazy, you know, how many tornadoes can break out in a day. And they had like 47 that we got to watch take place. And the last big tornado takes place. And it's coming down on the two main characters of the, of the movie. And they're running. And they find themselves needing to find something to hold on to because the storm's going to come right through them. And they find in that moment, how how apropos, in that moment they find this metal tubing or piping that goes down hundreds of feet into the ground because it's attached to a well. And they take harnesses and they, they tie themselves up. Literally, the storm comes through and you watch with Hollywood effect. The storm, the tornado goes right through it, taking everything around them up. And they're pulled up literally, uh, turned upside down. But because they were holding on to something that was secure... They were not sucked in. As Christians, church and the gathering of God's people for the purpose of worship and fellowship and teaching is, listen, what will keep you salt and light in a world that's gone wild. So it begs the question this morning, and I know I'm speaking to the choir because you're here, but it begs the question in a world as turned upside down as we have today, that our attendance rate would be somewhere around 65%. We need one another. The world is rocky. The world is tossing us to and fro. And what we need to see when we gather together is us holding on to one another, saying, you can do it another week. Go be sunlight, but I might lose my job, or I might lose my friend. That's all right. God is with us. He says good things will happen. He says that when he comes back, he will destroy all those who fight against him, including the Antichrist, with one word from his mouth. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer. We need to hold tight. We need to stand firm. Notice we need to rely on him as we live. Paul finishes with what is a benediction. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. What do we need in this world? When we open our news feeds and we see that the world again finds itself pursuing hell instead of heaven, we need God's comfort. We need God's grace. We need God's hope. But it seems like the evil is winning. In those moments, we need God's comfort, God's grace, and God's good hope. When we see that people are pursuing a lie instead of the truth, in that moment when we feel like, what is the use? Why should I continue to go? We need God's comfort, God's hope, and God's grace. When we have to stand and, and be salt and light in the world, when it seems that we're the only one standing for truth, we need in that moment God's comfort, God's hope, and God's grace. What I pray for you as a pastor of this church is that each and every day you will tap into that comfort, that grace, and that hope. Why? Because when we rely on that, when we put our trust in that, notice what God says will take place. We will be established, firmly rooted immovable steadfast in every good work and word that means God says I'm with you I'll see you through it oh you may get hit by the flaming arrows of the enemy but it won't take you out at the end of the practice I went up to Hayden I said Hayden it was a good practice he said it may have been for you coach I said Hayden You're going home, aren't you? He says, yeah. I said, listen, that's the best Jack could throw your way. And you're still standing. And you're ready to take on another day. He played yesterday in a ball game and did just fine. And we will do just fine when we receive the things that God has given us. And when we rely on that good comfort and grace, knowing that God who calls us is faithful. Are you ready to go? Are you ready for another week? Oh, the world's going to throw a lot our way. But thanks be to God, we've got his comfort, and we've got his grace, and we've got good hope that we can achieve all that he wants for us and every good work and every good word in this week to come. Let's ask for his blessing on this week. Father God, we thank you for the time and your word this morning and what it teaches us and what it, it, it tells us. And I, Lord, I, I just pray for every man, woman, and child in here who have devoted their lives to the life and cause of Jesus Christ, that they would not give up hope. Lord, we are watching right before our eyes, Lord, in such clear ways, a country and a people that are turning their back on you. And it's easy to get downtrodden, it's easy to become disappointed, it's easy to get depressed. But that's not what your word tells us that the Thessalonians did, or what Paul did. And we just are so thankful for their modeling of what it means to live godly and Christian lives in the last days. And so, Lord, I pray that the truths that we've learned today, that we will remain steadfast and we will hold on to the traditions that you have taught us in your word and that we will allow ourselves and make the priority to gather with your people and to pursue you in your word so that whatever gets thrown our way, we can take it and stand firm all the while. Lord, I know that there are many in, our, in this place who deal with very difficult situations in the world that they live in, whether in their workplace or in their families or in their schools or with their friends. And Lord, I pray you would establish us and you would equip us so that whatever we do this week, we might show the world how beautiful and lovely and brilliant you are what a blessing it is to be a follower of yours even if it means at times we're following you by ourselves oh lord thank you for this church that continues to seek to establish your people and thank you for all the ministry that's being done today to cause both young and old to stand firm and hold to the truths we've been taught now send us forth in fellowship lord Thank you for letting us gather and giving you the praise and worship that you deserve and how it impacts us now because it reminds us of how great you are and how much we need you. Send us forth now in peace, Lord, we ask. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.